Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hi, Beth. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Still great. (laughs) Third time's a charm on this recording. Amen. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to have the lovely Nell O'Leary with us today. Hi, Nell. Hi, ladies. How are you? Oh, just great seeing you. I know. I wish you were here with us. I know. Me too. Me too. But we'll have to do with the computer. Nell, would you mind introducing yourself? I'd love to. So my name is Nell O'Leary. I'm the managing editor here at Blessed Is She. I live in St. Paul with my husband. We're both lawyers, but I don't practice. So I like to say that I'm in recovery from being a lawyer. We have four kiddos, nine, seven, five, and two and a half. And when I'm not doing Blessed Is She work, I might be found texting my sister, sewing, eating chocolate in the pantry. You can find me at wholeparentingfamily.com, but Mostly you can just find me anything Blessed Is She related. Whole Parenting on Instagram is the best place. It's where it's at. To watch now. I'm really impressed with that intro now. I was impressed that you knew all your kids' ages like that quickly. Okay, guys, do you know what I think would be fun to chat about? I want to hear about it. My question is, what were you like as a kid? I think you like this because you like therapy. Do they ask that in therapy? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a lot of my prayer life is me like being a child. Yeah. And yes, Jenna, I do go to therapy (laughs) and in EMDR. (laughs) Yeah. You go back into your childhood. It's so much more formative than I would like it to be. That little me is still being reflected in who I am today. So I'm just curious. What were you like as a kid? Loved sports. I was a tomboy. I was not feminine at all. I was very tall. I was left out a lot. Okay. I always had to be in the middle because I never wanted to be on the outside of any friendships because I was like so insecure that people were always talking about me. I was just around mean girls. So I always had to like be in the middle stall. Like no one could like whisper things about me if I was like on the outside. Are you talking about the middle bathrooms? Yeah. You think they were whispering through the stalls? Who knows? Those girls were mean. Like at sleepovers, I had to be in the middle bed or like in the middle of the bed. Friend. That's okay. I don't feel like that now. Anyways, so I just really loved sports. That was like where I thrived as opposed to in friendships. I always was just super insecure. That's me as a child. Then it all went downhill as a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) No, what about you? I'm the fourth of five kids. There were four girls and then one boy. And I think a lot of my personality as a child had to do with that birth order. Uh, I was very obedient, very sweet, very scrupulous, very concerned about following the rules, making sure my siblings were following the rules. Of course, my little brother and my sister right above me were often being, I mean, totally benign, but like a little mischievous or a little naughty. So I was definitely like the tattletale, like the police. And my parents divorced when I was seven. Aside from my birther, that's kind of a big demarcation in how my childhood shifted out. 
So it was a very amiable divorce. They got along really well. They did a good job co-parenting us. But I felt a lot of my childhood just really wanting somebody to pay attention to me and really wanting somebody to take my opinion into consideration, whether it was, what are we having for dinner? Where are we going? You know, you're the fourth kid. Like, just get in the car. So now, of course, I look at my fourth kid and I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm just telling you to get in the car. I moved schools a lot, even though we never moved houses, which is a little unusual. So always kind of being very empathic to new people since I was always a new person. So trying to kind of find my way, trying to read people emotionally, trying to ensure that I would be emotionally safe wherever I went since I was always in a new set of friends, a new set of circumstances. Things shifted a lot. So probably <laughs> looking back at like childhood now, I'd be like, just chill out, man. It's okay that not everybody's following the rules right now. Like if everybody doesn't like you, that's also okay. I think it's so fascinating to hear about people's experience of childhood and how yeah. we just sort of push through. I was telling Jenna now that I just painted my bathroom and I've lived in this place for more than two years and I have hated this bathroom color from the first moment I saw it. But I don't know if I just thought like, you know, I'm probably not going to be here that long. This was just like my landing place when I got to Phoenix I'll probably move out. I don't love it anyway, so it's fine. I can live with it. That turned into one year and two years. And I realized I was pushing through every day my hatred of this paint color. And finally, I got up the courage to just ask my landlord, can I paint the bathroom? And he said yes, and I painted it the next day. Wow. Like, you don't have to live like that. And I think a lot of times my experience of childhood is this is the way it is. Like, I've just got to live with it. I can't change anybody. It's always like that, especially like when the holidays roll around. It's always going to be like this. I know exactly how it's going to go when our whole family is together. I know what role to play. I know how I'm going to feel. So I've just got to get through it. I've just got to survive it. I've got to push everything down and get through it. I think it's fascinating that both of your childhood experiences revolve a lot around family and mine revolve a lot around friendship. Mm. My family was like so stable. My yeah. dad was such a stable person in my life. I have so much gratitude for my like childhood memories I have with him, picking yeah. me up every single day at school and stopping at Circle K and he would get a 64 ounce Diet Coke and I would get hot tamales. And then we would what? just drive home and listen to music together in the car. <laughs> what? Every day I had hot tamales sometimes milk duds. Anyway, I just find it fascinating that like how I explained it revolved so much around friendship totally. and that being kind of really defining for me as a kid. I felt very defined by that immense insecurity weighing on me, but I had great security at home. I would think it would be the opposite, that if you felt insecure at home, you would go other places to find that security. And I can relate to that in a way of yeah. really looking on the outside and having a big broad circle of friendships, deep friendships, because I was looking for that security. And for us, we were raised very loyal to each other. Loyalty was a really big deal. So five kids in nine years, and we did all the same activities together. We did the same pool, did the same ski classes and the same extracurricular activities. And when you're with your siblings out in public, it was such a big deal. We had to stick up for each other. And if someone was having a hard time, and I went home and told my mom that you know, my sister hadn't helped me when I like, I don't know, whatever happened at like lunch at skis class. 
then she'd get in so much trouble. So there was this emphasis of even if you didn't really want to, you really had to stick together as a clan. And that clannishness, that like fierce loyalty, probably carried me through so many of the times when I was like at a new school, don't know anybody, have to make new friends again. Our parents are getting divorced. Like all of these things kind of gelled us together. Because even now as adults, you know, we're all on really different life paths. Each one of us is in an incredibly different sector of work. We live in different areas. Like our, our lives look super different, but we still have this kind of fierceness. Like we, we get each other because nobody else did because we went through so many weird things. It's so cool that you had each other. That you still have each other. Totally. But I have found in adulthood, maybe you guys have too, that I've had to modify some of those relationships because all of us are married now. So that alliance and allegiance with and to each other had to shift to our spouse. In my role in the family is kind of like being the glue. Like everybody would come and tell me what was going on. Then I would try to go and like massage their relationships and like go to my mom and be like, well, maybe so-and-so is experiencing this, which meant so-and-so called me, <laughs> they're experiencing this, and to shift and say, okay, well, now I have my own nuclear family, I have my own immediate family, and I need to pay attention to this little family's needs before the big family's needs. And that was huge for me as an adult woman married with kids, having to really sever that like attachment in a way or modify that attachment and say, okay, don't come to me when stuff's going on in the family. I want to help it. I want to save it. And I shouldn't. I should be focused on what works for my husband and I. I don't need to run interference with your adult relationships with our parents or with each other. I'm going to leave you high and dry, guys. You got to kind of deal with it on your own now, which is so much healthier, obviously, for everybody. But it took a big leap of faith for me to say like, oh, my identity is no longer the fixer in my own family. My identity is first and foremost as a daughter of God, but also as a wife and mom to my own family. And my family of origin is going to have to not like it. And I'm going to have to be okay with them not liking my choices, which for me was extremely hard and painful to walk through to the other side where I am now, where I can say like, no, it's not going to work for us. Sorry, guys, I can't bring the kids over during that time for brunch. It's naps. It's not going to work. And if everyone's like, oh, it's brunch time. I'm like, well, do you want my kid laying down on top of your brunch table, crying, kicking food on the floor? We'll be at home. But I love you. Text me later. That's beautiful. I think whenever we can set up boundaries in our lives and, you know, mature in all of these relationships, it's a beautiful thing to see parental relationships maturing, sibling relationships maturing, you know, and sometimes they go in a bad direction. Sometimes there's a lot of division and strife and that's reality for a lot of people. But I think whenever we're able to really communicate in our families, it's a really beautiful and freeing thing to be able to be honest in our family units. I found that in that honesty, for me to be honest about what's going to work for me, I kind of don't want to do it because I kind of like the old habits. We went through this a couple of years ago, a big shift in our family dynamic. To be honest for me meant to let go of the expectation that I could control the outcome of what I said. I'm going to put this out there. This is the truth for our family, what's going to work for us. And whatever the ripple effects were, I just had to live with them. And that meant lots of nights of crying, lots of nights of texting with you know this sister or that brother or FaceTiming with this person or that person trying to sort it out. It wasn't like, oh, well, Nell just up and decided one day to have a better relationship, good boundaries, read the book boundaries. Now I'm fine. Like, no. And it's ongoing. But for people who are in transition or looking to transition to healthier boundaries, to be freed of trying to control the outcome of the conversations for me was enormous. And that I had to entrust also my big family to God 
and my little family to God and say, if I do what I really faithfully and prayerfully believe is healthiest for us, he is going to pick up the pieces. He is going to help heal us. I don't know how, and I shouldn't not do it because I don't already have the answer on the other side. Like if I can't see it with anticipation that it's going to be okay, that's not a reason not to do it. I have to step out and trust. And some things have taken a lot longer than others to heal and but it's been a leap of faith for me for making these transitions and facing these wounds in our family. He has provided. He really has been there, even when I wasn't sure if he would be. I remember now watching you in that transition, how painful it was, but also how brave you were, how discerning you were, how you honored your husband and your children and your own mental health, your own emotional health to say, this isn't working for me anymore. And I think what is so inspiring about that is I've had moments like that too, where I can say, this isn't working for me, but I don't even know how to change it. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, for me, the answer to that was counseling to deal with my own stuff because you cannot change other people. Like you're saying, you can't control the outcome. So for me, it was dealing with my own dysfunction or my own way of seeing other people, I had to start with me. And of course, I had been praying into that and inviting the Lord into those very tender, young places for a long time. But it was time to garner some reinforcements, you know. You had to paint your bathroom. Yeah, I had to start with me. Exactly. Yeah. I found, too, that there's this weird stigma around getting outside help. I went and saw a therapist for a summer, a couple summers ago. I don't know. We had like six sessions maybe. And I felt so shaky going in the first time. Like, oh my gosh, I'm one of those people who can't handle their problems alone and privately. Now I have to like bring my issues to some strange woman. Why couldn't I just figure it out myself? Well, I couldn't figure it out myself. Like you said, Beth, I'd taken a lot of stuff to prayer and I had gotten great counsel from people close to me, but I really needed that third party to say, oh, okay. Paint me the picture of what's going on in your life. Oh, sounds like maybe this, maybe that, maybe that. Like, there's some things to look at. And I didn't even tell anyone I was going because I was super embarrassed. And I only talked about it when I was done. And when it was done, I could say, hey, guys, I can't believe I was too embarrassed to tell you I was doing this. But I could at least say, like, I'm on the other side of saying, like, it's fine. And if I need to go back, I will. And if I need a sounding board, I will. And that's why there are people in those incredible roles, because some of these wounds and some of these patterns can't be broken by sheer willpower. We need grace and we need outside help. When I've looked at the trajectory from being a little girl in a big family, growing up through my teens and our 20s, we were all surrounding each other. Everyone was really involved in each other's lives. Nobody was married yet. You know, we traveled a lot to visit each other and Christmas was just this really fun adult reunion. And now looking when we're in our 30s and 40s, looking at my siblings and I, I see, gosh, we've weathered some storms. We've weathered some years of people not liking each other. <laughs> years of people like not really wanting to be at the same Thanksgiving table with each other. Um, years of things that I knew people had on their hearts that just had gone unspoken, but they weren't my story to tell. And, you know, wishing I could like release the pressure in the room. And I think it's nice to be older in a way, and I hope that it continues as we age to be able to let go of some things that don't really matter and address the things that really do and simply say, okay, family, if I were to die tomorrow, what would I have wanted to have shared with you? How deeply I love you, how much I want our relationship to be better. 
how acutely I feel my failures as a sister and a daughter, but how I want to be honest with you because life is too short to go through it with clenched teeth around the people that we love. I think like you're saying now, the older that I get, the more that I realize how much my family has to do with who I am and how I am Mm. for better or for worse, you know? And there's a reason for that. God cares about family. Yeah. If you're not happy or you didn't have the best start, God cares about that. He cares about healing your heart. And he cares about giving you experiences of family outside of your family as well as moving towards reconciliation and restoration in your family. But haven't you seen, Beth, that you know, when we're willing to do the hard work to look at ourselves, a big part of that has to involve our creator. It has to involve God. It has yeah. to involve turning to him and saying, okay, I can pick apart my family and pick about all the things they do and all the things they do that drive me crazy and all the things I can justifiably complain about to everyone on my intimate text thread. If this is not a conversation I'm having with God, it certainly isn't a conversation I should be having with other people. I have to take this to him because he does love us so much. We are his adopted children. We're all in one family. And he wants for us to have beauty and healing and restoration in these relationships. And that is not going to come from me. It's only going to come from inviting him in. Yeah, I think God communicates his care and concern and his intimate involvement in family all throughout the scriptures. This is why we have so many boring genealogies in scripture (laughs) is because he uses family. He works through family. In fact, some of God's most spectacular work happens through generations of families. They don't even see it in their lifetime. I've just been kind of keying into God's love of family and his design to use family and even to choose people out of families to bring him glory and accomplish his will and to bring the whole family along with that person, you know? I have seen so much of his work through my siblings and through my close friends, you know, friends who are like family and thinking, wow, I am riding this wave with them. I am caught up in this beautiful movement of the spirit in their lives that when he is working in our lives, that healing like radiates out, right? Sometimes it is really deep and private and personal in the person, but when they're filled up with more of his grace, it certainly has a ripple effect on the rest of us. Thank goodness for that. I mean, ultimately, that's why no matter the start that we got or the family that we have, that's why we surround ourselves with people who are running the race with us. Sometimes you don't find your home in your family of origin. And I think that that breaks God's heart And I believe that he'll restore, that there can be reconciliation. But I know he brings about home and family in other people. He redeems family in friendship, in our nuclear families. When you marry and you have your own children and you get to have this redeeming experience of family. I have a redeeming experience of family being at Jenna's house every day and being a part of your family with little people running around. So I think it's okay to find family outside your family of origin. But that's not to say that God doesn't still care about your heart and your experiences from those days, your experience of it even now. He wants to do something there. I mean, I think God wants reconciliation and wholeness in all relationships. Amen. So whether that's your family of origin, whether that's your church family, 
whether that's your community family, like mm. people that are in your life and your community, whether that's friendship. Yeah. I think he always wants wholeness there. He wants two hearts to come together and be able to be open to each other. So I think his desire is reconciliation to see his children be connected, to see his children, as Nell said, being loyal to each other, yeah. standing up for each other, yeah. opening their hearts up to each other. I think that's what God the Father desires. Even if it's small little things, like you said, Nell, unspoken things that tend to build up that tension, God wants to soften that and he wants to repair that and he wants his children to be one. I'm just thinking of that chorus to a worship song that we love. I'm just hearing her sing, you always restore. And I think you just put together all of the pieces of this conversation for me. God's will is always healing, reconciliation, and restoration. It's what he does. It's who he is. Jesus is about to go to his death in John 17. And what does he pray for? Unity. That's the answer. That's his will every time. It's not like, does God want me to be reconciled? Maybe it's physically, humanly unsafe for you to be reconciled, but he wants you to experience forgiveness and peace in your own heart. He wants to redeem relationship in your life. He wants you to be free. And if possible, in his time, he will bring about reconciliation. That's what I was going to say. It doesn't mean it's going to happen today. In his time is the key phrasing, I think. His healing takes time. But I think if we're constantly conforming our heart to his will, then our hearts have to be for reconciliation. Our hearts have to be an openness to being restored in ourselves mm. and in relationship with other people, in relationship with our families, where we think that could never possibly happen. Yeah, It's just not even possible. And I love that you said that makes sense if it's not a safe situation and having boundaries and knowing what's safe for yourself. If our hearts are always just disposed and conforming to him, our hearts will always desire a reconciled relationship. Yeah, that's maturity and discernment to have good boundaries. Yes. That doesn't mean no relationship. I love from that book, Boundaries by Doctors Cloud and Townsend. In that book, he says boundaries are not walls. Boundaries allow people in and out. They're not walls. So don't confuse putting up healthy, appropriate Christian boundaries to preserve your own heart with walls and shutting people out and cutting them off. They're like property lines. They yes. tell you where I end and where you begin. And ultimately, I have control over who I let in and who goes out. You know, I think along those lines of wanting to align our hearts with his, a step that I've needed and maybe sometimes other people need is to know that others have these struggles too. So it's not just me and my life and everyone else's relationships are perfect and mine's just garbage. Like that other people are going through this too. So when we can authentically share what is going on in our relationships and our families, it gives other people courage to face what's going on in theirs and to see how God has already worked healing in their relationships, healing in their lives is so encouraging and so crucial as we're on this Christian journey together. I agree. I think even you sharing your story, Nell, of really going through a lot of discernment, a lot of time you spent just caring for your own family, doing what you thought was best, praying through a lot of your family dynamics gives me hope that one day 
I can do that as well. Seeing you come out the other side, and I know you're constantly working on it, and we're always going to need to humble ourselves before the Lord and be open to his will and movement. But I think to see that you made it through to the other side through painful family times and a lot of communicating and a lot of honesty and a lot of honest conversations, that gives me hope that that will happen one day for me, whether it be in my extended family or in my immediate family. That no matter what, if I know that the Lord wants restoration and I'm on the side of his will, that I'll see that happen and I'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. And as Beth said about painting your bathroom, some of it does come down to us. It comes down to making an act of will. It comes down to praying for our family intentionally, to opening ourselves up to the Lord's desire for reconciliation in our families, because maybe we have shut it off and we've said it's never going to happen. Well, I think Jenna and I are both feeling a little convicted about praying intentionally for our families. Speak for yourself, Beth. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. I am convicted. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking forward to doing that all of Advent and Christmas because that's the theme of our new devotional. I think the Lord is going to do mighty things this Advent and Christmas, and I am here for it. I have felt that same expectation about the Lord's heart for healing reconciliation, restoration in families. And I know that the three of us have been praying into this for months. In fact, our whole Blessed Ishii team, we've been praying into this as the devotional has come together. So I can't wait to see just the move of God, the move of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole Blessed Ishii community, because I believe it's His heart for us. And the move of our hearts conforming to His. Yes. Softening, being open. I'm excited for that because I think we can look at what's happening all around us and be like, God, you're not doing anything, but maybe he's doing something really deep and really good inside of you. Mm. Maybe you're the thing that's going to get softer and in little teeny ways, change your family culture or change what's happened in your family or changed relationships. The deeper we get with the Lord, the more he does with everything around us, with all our circumstances, with everything that seems hard and tense. I really love that everybody shares a story from a different time in their life. So it's not all stories of necessarily what's happened right now. It's not all stories of, oh, my life was pretty good. Then God made it even better. It's like, well, I had this thing happen at work one time. It was really challenging. Or this happened in my childhood and it was really traumatizing. Or we went through this and I didn't know what to do. And this is how the Lord brought about healing. The goal is to evoke in our readers a sense of permission that they can be vulnerable to, that they can get God back into the past, bring God into the present, invite him into their future to birth healing in their hearts. He's coming. He's coming. Emmanuel is coming, right? God made man, the word incarnate, the word made flesh. And he's coming not only to redeem the world, but to redeem our story too. It's just an invitation away. And I love that our beautiful writers shared how they had invited him in and what had happened when they did. It's really a gift to me. And I know that it will really speak to everybody in every stage. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier, Nell, I think when you hear other people's stories, you can see that there's freedom to be had. There's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for your family. 
So I just want to invite you, sweet listener, to head to the Blessed Is She shop and grab your Advent devotional and join in with us on this journey of healing and restoration in our families and in our own hearts. And I'm so excited to do it alongside you. Well, friends, very grateful for both of you, for your hearts, for this little convo. Agreed. It's going to be fodder for my prayer. I'm very <laughs> convicted right now. Thank you, Nell O'Leary. Yeah. Now, would you like to close us in prayer? Oh, I'd love to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, help us to be brave, to turn over our lives and our memories and our relationships and our wounds and our joys over to you, to give up control of the outcome and to find true peace in the trust that your love is completely restorative. And Our Lady, we know that you are the holder of all the graces, the great mediatrix. Please unleash those graces on every woman listening. Flood her heart with them that she might grow closer to your son. God bless the work of Blessed Is She and this beautiful group and all the efforts to help draw souls closer to you. Almighty Father, we ask this in your sacred and holy name. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Nell. Thanks, friend. Oh, it's such a joy. Thank you, ladies. Chat soon. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.